Justify prove to be right or reasonable Justification is at the heart of all legal and political argument but at a time when argument itself is slave to appearances it is time to bring back a culture of justification Justify a podcast on law and politics in India from the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy hosted by Orgos and Gupta Welcome to episode 10 of Justify we are discussing Gyanvapi and the Places of Worship Act as all of you now will be aware gyanvapi is a masjid in varanasi which has recently made the headlines for being located on the site of a demolished hindu temple this is a fact and the masjid has been controversial for decades the vishwa hindu parishad had identified gyanvapi as one of the sites intended to be reclaimed alongside other mosques allegedly constructed by demolishing hindu temples what got in the way was the places of worship act 1991 a legislation which froze the religious character of monuments on the basis of what they were on the 15th of august 1947 so whatever they were on the day of india's independence is what they would be the babri masjid was of course famously exempted from the places of worship act but in the last two years in the aftermath of the babri masjid judgment by the supreme court authorizing the construction of a hindu temple at the site the controversy over gyanvapi and several other places has erupted once again a district court has allowed videography and a survey of the mosque which found some evidence of hindu symbols troublingly similar to the ayodhya episode the gyanvapi episode has triggered fears of a rerun of the babri masjid dispute in today's episode we discuss gyanvapi the places of worship act and what these mean for the future of india's secularism I'm joined by Valai Singh, a widely published journalist and the author of the acclaimed work Ayodhya: City of Faith, City of Discord, and Rana Joy Sen of the National University of Singapore, who's written the acclaimed book Articles of Faith, Religion, Secularism, and the Indian Supreme Court. Welcome, Valai and Rana Joy. So let me start with you, uh, Rana Joy. The Supreme Court has recently held that ascertaining the religious character of a site. is not against the mandate of the places of worship act the act itself was enacted during the peak of the ayodhya dispute and aims to freeze the religious character of sites of worship as on 15th august 1947 what are your thoughts on this observation of the supreme court during the gyanvapi hearing right first of all i want to thanks for um, having me here uh, pleasure to be on your podcast um, Uh, you know, before going into the Supreme Court stand, you already mentioned the you know, Places of Worship Act, nineteen ninety one, and it might be worth um, elaborating. You know what the Act says precisely, and you know the 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 um, relevant portion uh, for today's uh, conversation is where the Act basically prohibits conversion of any place of worship and seeks to provide for the maintenance of the. Uh, religious character of any place of worship as it existed uh, at the time of independence uh, namely 15th august 47 uh, it also states that the religious character of a place of worship shall continue to be the same as it existed on august 15 1947 the law however uh, as you rightly pointed out it exempts the ayodhya dispute and any court proceedings uh, concerning but it might be uh, important to clarify here that the 1991 act Uh, does not cover all places of uh, worship uh, in fact uh, there is a separate law called the ancient monuments and archaeological sites and remains act 
1950 for defining the religious character of, of, of historic sites. And this makes the, the, the legal uh, arrangement somewhat uh, complicated. In the religious character of historical monument is often contingent upon the date of notification. And it is actually permissible to reopen such sites for, for religious activities if the, the ASI or the Archaeological Survey of India uh, gives permission. Uh, but in this uh, instance, I think uh, the, the Supreme Court uh, has not yet you know, gone into the, the, the complexities of these acts and how they might contradict each other. Uh, but it has basically so far has uh, so far proceedings in the lower court uh, should continue. But very importantly, in one of the remarks that the court has made, I think is quite critical for the Gyanvapi case in today's conversation. It says that the 1991 law uh, only bars conversion of religious priests of worship, but does not bar a settlement of religious character. And here I'm quoting the Supreme Court judgment of these places. So basically it opens up a front where the, the, the courts uh, can then go and delve into the history of the, the Gyanvapi mosque and, and uh, pronounce on, on the religious character of the site. And that I think is, is important for today's uh, discussion. Yeah, no, and thanks very much, Ranajoy, for setting this in context, because I think this is a very critical question as to whether the ascertainment of the religious character of, of any structure, as in this case, we are dealing with a mosque, but we could be dealing with any other religious structure, as to whether that is a legal question, uh, or whether that is a question that is based on other factors. So, Vala, I think it would be good to turn this to you. You've, you've done a lot of work on, on the Babri Masjid dispute. What is your view on this and the fact that the Supreme Court may be though legally correct in saying that the ascertainment of religious character of a particular structure is not foreclosed by the Places of Worship Act, something that Rana Joyce says is also determined uh, by the Ancient Monuments Act. Uh, but what is your sense in terms of putting this question as a legal question that the courts will now possibly sit and look at every single mosque that where somebody's filed a case saying that is it really a mosque um, and perhaps this might lead to a plethora of disputes how do you see this issue no firstly i mean i think one key uh, observation that several commentators experts historians and i think all right-minded people and right in the sense that we understand is that uh, courts are not appearing to learn from the Ayodhya dispute. Something that should be nipped in the bud is, is, is actually being allowed to fester. And on the Supreme Court's ascertainment of the religious nature of, of a place, I would just like to you know pose a counter question is that, I mean, I'm sure the court should also apply its mind to what would this lead to? What would this ascertainment lead to? And why is it so necessary? Right. I mean, the there is an act that says you cannot convert the, uh, a, a place of worship into something else uh, after nineteen. I mean, fifteen August nineteen forty-seven. So why why is it even you know being allowed? That is the first thing. The second is that the Supreme Court has. I think it also did this in other disputes and definitely in the Ayodhya matter, though I guess not so overtly, but. It's, it's put the ball uh, back in the subordinate judiciary's court. 
where it had an opportunity to nip it in the bud and just lay down a clear ruling. And there's enough uh, judicial precedent and uh, uh, verdicts, you know, which which it could have been guided by. So, uh, so I think that that basically opens up a larger question about what is the, I mean, how does the judiciary see itself and its role in such matters? which basically will lead to and are leading to more and more divisiveness and violent, uh, you know, violent incidents of, of, of dispute between two major communities in the country. And okay. we are not going right now into, you know, whether there was a mosque, I mean, whether there was a temple, whether there was a Buddhist uh, structure, whether it was a Shiva temple or it was a, a Hindu, you know, seminary of sorts. We're not even going into that. We are not going into why Aurangzeb probably ordered the demolition of this temple. We're not going into that. But the basic question is, why do you want to ascertain or allow the ascertainment of the religious nature of a place? Why? So, Ramajoy, I think there is a legal reason for doing that. And just purely uh, taking it as a lawyer, the Places of Worship Act says that you can't change the religious character of a place. Uh, but is the place a religious place to begin with? There perhaps may be a question there uh, that could be asked as if you were to think like a lawyer. So Ronajoy, would you uh, like to come in on this and also on the question as to whether the court should have sent it back to the district court? Because the court in some sense was procedurally correct in saying that uh, the title suit is barred. If, if it is barred, it will be barred because of the uh, because of the Places of Worship Act. This is something uh, that the respondents can raise well, in their Order 7, Rule 11, CPC uh, response. And so they can they have the liberty to raise it in the district court. So do you think that uh, there is something to be said about what the court did? Yes, you know, I think there is a, a legal sort of in reasoning or, or, or the scope for the courts to step in. I think you know these acts and you know sort of acts. There are more than one acts, you know, um, so which which allow the the, the courts to step in. Um, so I think that's um, you know one has to accept whether the court should, you know, the highest court in the land, whether it should step in or you know put an end to these kind of disputes is of course another question. And you're also right. I think, and you're you're you know much better qualified than, than me on this issue. I think. In the sort of normal sort of chain of uh, the way this happens, I think uh, the court is right to let the the, the the Supreme Court that is is right to let the you know the the, the cases progress through the various you know uh, lower courts before eventually, as you know, as I see it, it'll you know, it'll probably uh, it'll come up for the, the the apex court at some point. So in that sense, I think legally speaking. Um, I think the Supreme uh, Court is, 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 is probably not incorrect, but we can talk a little bit more later about the sort of social and, and, and political ramifications uh, in a bit. Yeah, I think that that's actually a good segue to talk about how the court sees itself institutional, because I think the point that Valaya is making, and, and I agree with, is that it's it's hard for us at this point of time to see the court purely as an institution that lays down the black letter of the law. The Supreme Court itself in its own self-image is also much more than that. As, as I've just written in an article, which should be out in the next few days, is that it kind of presents itself as the moral guardian of the nation. 
And if it is a moral guardian, then perhaps as Valai was saying, the expectation of it, that it's going to nip it in the bud, it will learn from Babri, it will not uh, strictly follow procedure and, and perhaps uh, ensure that a categorical statement reaffirming the constitutional validity of the Places of Worship Act, something that was uh, mentioned time and again in the Babri judgment, uh, could perhaps happen when the when 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 the matter came to the Supreme Court. So, Ronajay, uh, I'll take this to you first before I go back to Valai. As in, given the fact that the court court has this larger than life image, particularly in the public eye. Uh, do you think that uh, even though this may not have been the appropriate procedural place for the court to do it, but do you think this was a, a missed opportunity and the court could have nipped this once and for all? Yes, you know, personally speaking, and this is leaving aside uh, legal and procedural niceties, I think we've seen already what has happened um, in regarding Oyodhya uh, and Babri Masjid and you know, some kind of closure, I think, was brought about uh, by the, you know, the relatively recent uh, Supreme Court ruling, which, of course, uh, did not satisfy everyone. But uh, the, the court tried to at least you know, attain some kind of closure by you know, giving the site to the Hindu litigants and then you know, um, giving another sort of site elsewhere for the, the, the Muslim litigants to bring them out. So, of course, not entirely satisfactory, but the court would like to think that it sort of was somewhat Solomonic in its, in its uh, approach. But I think the, the, the danger to this approach is that, you know, if we have Ayodhya, of course, now we have Ganwapi, there is, of course, uh, the temple in Kashi. Uh, so it opens up multiple uh, you know, cases of fronts where such issues can come up. And, and then it becomes a never-ending uh, uh, sort of process, which, of course, poses a very potent challenge to the, to the secular fabric uh, of, of, of the country. And so I would think that if the Supreme Court did, in, in your words, you know, probably miss an opportunity of maybe, uh, you know, intervening here and, and making it clear that there is no sort of incongruity or paradox between accepting that a temple could well have been uh, demolished in the, in the 16th century, as, uh, as was the case uh, with the you know the with the temple where the Ganwapi now stands, uh, but also stating that the the status quo of of these of these places must be maintained. We cannot sort of you know constantly dig up and go back to these uh, the, these historical um, you know call it injustices or call it incidents that might have happened. Um, so so sort of uh, not not uh, uh, you know go back and certain. Uh, you know, sort of the the, the history, etc. So, uh, in in that sense, uh, in the Supreme Court could have you know um, stepped in and said that the status quo of these shrines need to be maintained for you know basically the the you know maintenance of the 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 secular fabric and 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 and, and the peace. In fact, the Supreme Court did talk about in, the, in that in, I think in, in the judgment about peace being uppermost on their minds and maintaining the balance. And fraternity between two communities when it said that the in the case the, the current Yanvapi case should be transferred to uh, more uh, I think to quote the, the quote a seasoned and mature hand than what was evident in in the in Varanasi code where it was being heard. So I, I do believe uh, the, the Supreme it, it's the Supreme Court did miss an opportunity. Maybe that opportunity might come up 
subsequently, but by then I think a lot of water would have flowed under the bridge, unfortunately. That's right. And, and while I, the, a lot of water has flown under the bridge already, we see that there are cases filed in relation to Kutub Minar, there is a case in Mathura, there is a case in Meerut, and I'm sure there are many cases uh, that are on the anvil. Uh, you said earlier that the court didn't learn its lessons from Babri Masjid. Could you elaborate on that a little? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm purely just sort of coming in from a perspective that that legal dispute uh, first languished, then uh, certain political events in 1986 uh, precipitated a decision by a lower court in Faisabad, which allowed the locks of the disputed Babri Masjid, Ram Janbhumi structure to be opened. And after that, as the as, as Justice S.U. Khan, I think in the 2010 judgment himself said that it opened, a, started a chain reaction. So my, my point is very simple. Here is an opportunity to exactly to what both of you just said, to, to send out a message that these kind of cases that are challenging an existing act should not be entertained at the lower judiciary level. You see, otherwise, on a lighter note, you know, one could say that we'll have to set up a special tribunal just to look into these disputed places of worship because the caseload is going to be immense. Uh, Hindu organizations who are on the extreme side have identified, I mean, they claim that there are upwards of 40,000 such uh, structures. You, we can take a conservative estimate and say, okay, even if say half of them go to courts, I mean, what are we talking about? That's one thing. The second is that it's being said by by in the dominant narrative that this is, you know, these places, these temples were demolished to break the morale of the Hindus, to you know, shame them, to destroy their pride, and so on. So, it, I mean, to me, it seems like our courts allowing themselves to become a sort of medium to restore community's pride here? Are they becoming a medium to revive some kind of, uh, you know, golden era or consciousness? And uh, is that the core function of, of the judiciary and especially the high judiciary? I would even like to say that, you know, at, at this rate, I mean, if things continue, then probably lower judiciary needs to be sensitized in certain acts that are very relevant to this case. Maybe they are, they are not aware. Maybe they don't know that, you know, what is the relevance of the Ancient Monuments Act of 1958? How do you uh, peruse the Places of Worship Act of 1991? How do you, you know, maybe interpret the ruling of 2019 of in the Ayodhya judgment? There is a problem here. And even if we just say that, okay, this is this is a matter of uh, just judiciary and judicial interpretation, then maybe lower judiciary, the uh, judges need to be oriented much better and sensitized on these special acts. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a point there because we seem to be going down the Babri Masjid route again because the question here uh, in Gyanwapi is uh, first a factual one as to whether there is an ancient shifting that the site of the mosque or whether the mosque was just simply built after the demolition of the temple, which is basically kind of a archaeological fact-checking exercise. And we knew what happened during uh, the Babri Masjid exercise that was carried out. Uh, now, these are, of course, questions that uh, will require surveys. It will require an in-depth uh, 
archaeological investigation, and then the matter will have to be brought to the court to determine, uh, apply the facts, apply the law to the facts, and then come out with a resolution. And we seem to be going down that same path again, uh, as an Indian Wapi, as we have done with the Babri Muslim uh, issue. So, Ranujay, one thing that has always troubled me when, when, when I was uh, thinking about this issue is that the Places of Worship Act is fairly categorical. It is categorical in saying that the one, the religious character uh, of, a, of, of a structure cannot be converted, as in it's what it was at 15th of August 1947, and any title suits will abate. And it is also categorical in excluding the Babri Masjid dispute from that. Uh, now, given the facts that we have it in such black and white terms, uh, do you think that ultimately, whether it happens soon or whether it happens later, the role of the court should really be to uphold the Places of Worship Act, not just in terms of singing its praises uh, in a case where it strictly doesn't matter, that is the Babri Masjid case, but in cases where it does matter, like, like in the current one. And then if parliament thinks that, uh, you know, we need to reopen the wounds of the past and we need to correct those injustices, we can repeal the Places of Worship Act. But do you think that uh, for the court at this point of time, as in wh whether sooner or later, as in it's just time to apply the law and get done with it? Uh, right, you know, um, I think uh, you're absolutely right that the, you know, the court uh, you know, uh, you know, praise the the you know 1991 act. Um, you know, in its uh, you know sort of original order on on on, on the Babri Masjid in the early 90s, where it said basically that uh, the the you know the Places of Worship Act actually imposes uh, an obligation um, towards enforcing you know the the Indian state's commitment to to secularism, and that the act, the 91 Act. You know, was basically a legislative instrument designed to you know, protect the, the secular features of the Indian state, and it also, in that same ruling, really emphasized that uh, you know secularism is one of the basic features of the constitution. Of course, you know these issues, you know the basic features, you know the essential practices doctrine, etc. In what secularism entails, you know, can be debated till the cows come home. But I think there is a contradiction in the in the court stand that it took. In in in, 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 in in 1991, in early 90s, on on the Ayodhya case, and as well as on the uh, on, on the 1991 Act, and uh, you know the current stand that the court seems to be taking. Of course, you know at the moment the court is only sort of looking at the the you know the judgments uh, being passed by the lower court. But again, to go back to that statement. Uh, made by the Supreme Court recently that uh, it can sort of reopen the question of ascertainment of religious character of, of this worship despite the 1991 um, Act is, is very significant. I think this, the, the, the court here is, is definitely you know, making you know, a, a, a statement, if albeit a veiled one, that uh, uh, it is not averse to such questions being 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 raked up and and you know letting you know, some of these issues you know go through you know the the sort of usual chain of command through the lower courts and eventually 
come through the Supreme Court. So I think that's really uh, what is worrying that the, the, the court is willing to sort of make exceptions to the 1991 Act, which you rightly said, kind of you know, fairly in black and white terms, state the fact that you know, um, uh, you know, um, that these issues cannot be so reopened, except in the case of Ayodhya, where an exception was made. But perhaps you know, although it is worrying, and you said that it is, uh, you use that word. But perhaps, and I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here. It's a it's a way to save the places of worship act because if too rigid an interpretation was placed on the Places of Worship Act, uh, then perhaps the Places of Worship Act might be repealed by Parliament because it seemed, as well as said, that if there are 40,000 such sites that exist, and if there is a dominant narrative or a prevailing sentiment that, uh, that these disputes should all be litigated, uh, and, and if there are mosques that stand on those sites where temples did exist, to actually, uh, then, then uh, corrective action should be taken. Then I think the Places of Worship Act is a statute whose days are numbered. So perhaps do you think that by kind of reopening some questions at the edges, like religious character of a place, it can still be ascertained, the court actually may be, may be saving the Places of Worship Act. No, no I, uh, I think you're right. Uh, uh, you know, the the uh... The, this might well be a way to save the act, but to use sort of Jinnah's immortal words uh, from partition, you know, whether we want a moth-eaten version of that act uh, is also something that we need to, to think about. Uh, but you know, just to also go back to the you know, context of the 1991 act, of course, it was done very much in, in the backdrop of the you know, Ayodhya and the Ram Janvumi uh, movement. And the BJP at the time, I think they had uh, it had roughly on 120 odd MPs. Of course, opposed the bill in the house. And if I remember correctly, it had also staged a, a walkout. So, so they were not sort of a party to the to the act. So it's it's very well possible that if there is if the if the current political dispensation sees uh, uh, um, you know uh, that uh, you know uh, feels that this um, this act needs to go um, it you know having it does have the numbers uh, to do so um, so i think um, you're right you know there are these i think contradictory pulls and pressures uh, but you know whether the supreme court should be sort of you know worried too worried about the political ramifications or whether you know it should sort of you know stick to the letter of the law i think these are you know questions that have no easy Easy answer, but as I said, you know, I would have you know, liked the court have, to have made a you know a sort of more categorical defense of the act rather than, as you said, you know, sort of you know, let it be sort of maybe questioned or maybe somewhat corroded on the edges, but let the at least save the act. Uh, you know, I think Valer might have um, other thoughts on this. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, no, uh, just to sort of. Con- clarify why I said that the Supreme Court has put the ball back in the lower judiciary's court. Uh, A seasoned and mature hand at the lower judiciary, uh, I think everyone believes that the more seasoned and experienced hands are sitting in Delhi at the Supreme Court. Uh, So I'll just come back. I mean, I just want to say this point that it doesn't cut 
this i think that it's not acceptable to a lot of people this 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 thing about season in mature hand because you're supposed to be the most seasoned and most wise and most mature that's one uh that the other point is that okay let's say or, or, or go to the supreme court is thinking so far ahead right when the parliament will try to repeal the act or change it i mean will somebody not take it to the supreme court again and so the supreme court cannot wish this question away either today or tomorrow or 10 years later or 2 years later it will have to intervene and take a very clear stand on this so i think and if it is saying today that you know i don't want to deal with this this is a politician's uh, role or the parliament's role then it could have said very clearly that you know do not entertain such uh, petitions which are in contravention of uh, of of the place of worship act so it it's just somehow it's not very convincing from that perspective to me and no, again you know, no it's absolutely a fair point wala because i i think that there is a at the at the core of it there is a there is a contradiction in what the court is doing because the fact is that if the place of the worship act is as important as it has said itself in the ram janmabhoomi case then it can nip all this in the bud and if there are all these other questions that that exist and that can be that can be brought up then they will be brought up to the supreme court so in some senses there is no point in 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 sending it down uh, to the to the lower judiciary uh, except perhaps for some strategic reasons to buy time whatever else or follow follow proper procedure but i actually want to take this expand the scope a little bit away from the court because this issue is really primarily not one of the court it's not a legal issue it's really a very fundamental issue in terms of how we see the country the secular fabric of the country uh and as to whether we see ourselves as a country uh that can be secular in a way in which uh all religions are celebrated some religions are celebrated or not secular at all um and I, and it's interesting because we are recording this on a day uh when the bhartiya janata party has suspended uh two spokespersons who had made uh comments as in which showed the prophet in bad light um and so it's at an interesting time when we discuss this because it seems that the a uh, dominant sentiment in the country would be that it's time to reopen old wounds and it's trying time to heal them and healing them would mean that there has to be a reassertion of hindu pride in some shape or form now wala you've studied this in great detail in your very detailed and insightful book on ayodhya so i was wondering whether you could tell us a little bit from your experiences of researching the book as to how deep you think this sentiment is uh, because that's ultimately what is going to determine the fate of the places of worship act yes and uh, before that i mean uh, uh, it's quite you know it's it, you're absolutely right we discuss it today when when after 10 days of outcry uh by indians and indian muslims uh there was no action and then when foreign governments mainly from the middle east they started calling envoys and started giving them the marshals or their equivalent that is when the indian uh, when the bjp was forced to to suspend these two spokespersons uh, just to put that in context right and so it wasn't because 
certain Muslims or Indians uh, were outraged, it was because it was diplomatically becoming untenable that the BJP had to act. And uh, this is a pattern that we have seen uh, in other other disputes also. Now, coming to your question, also I'm now working incidentally on a book on Banaras, uh, where you know I I did not imagine that uh, you know that it would this Gyanvi thing would become so center uh, so center stage, but uh, now it seems to be becoming. Uh, I would just like to say that yes, you know there is resentment, you know, but it's all about. In Banaras itself, I think the resentment is being amplified very systematically, and it, it has always been. Uh, there were always attempts to uh, amplify it, but they were not succeeding, right? But I think 2014 was that watershed moment, and 2019 has further cemented it, and uh, and all those election victories they further strengthen the, the 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 extreme elements who want to take us back to those middle ages and start punishing the descendants of uh, those emperors and those nobles who allegedly destroyed certain temples now there is a clear question before us and especially before the Supreme Court, because all these things go to the Supreme Court, which is where they are legitimized. Otherwise, it would be called mob violence or you know violence and so on. This is these courts are being approached to legitimize claims, and therefore the question is: Are we going to remain or uh, protect our identity as a modern democratic republic, or are we going to allow? the majoritarianism that we see on the streets increasingly in the last few years also start molding and influencing our highest courts. That is the question. There is deep resentment, but that resentment could be handled by religious leaders, politicians, social leaders, and in the communities itself. There could be other ways to address resentments we could say, okay, history books were not uh, fair to, to Hindu kings and kingdoms and so on. And we could have actually have an objective, critical uh, assessment of, okay, how can we address what is actually right here? But no, if we are going to simply do this to dominate and sort of, you know, uh, punish the today's uh, descendants of those, uh, you know, Mughals and so on, I think... I think it looks really scary. It looks very, very scary because today it is about showing the community its place. Who knows? Tomorrow it won't be about who is a better Hindu. You are not a better Hindu than me. I am a much better Hindu. You know, it, it, it will turn into that. Yeah, it's very likely that it could because that, as you said, is, is perhaps how the resentment is being felt and either it's allowed to fester or not being handled. And actually, this reminds me uh, of something, uh, Ranunjoy, that I th think you had written in your book, that uh, you do believe that religious pluralism and tolerance are the way forward. And also you expressed what I might call a hope uh, that the more spiritual aspects of religion win out over uh, the more kind of 
quotidian or, or, or the baser elements of, of religion. And sorry, I may have quoted you a little bit wrongly here. But the general sense that I got from, from, from your book and the, and the history of how secularism has been seen in the Supreme Court is, is, is a faith, and no pun intended, that, uh, that religious pluralism and tolerance is the way forward. Uh, do you think that the current chain of events, particularly as it's playing out through the courts, as opposed to playing out on the streets, uh, makes you doubt that belief? Right. Um, it's sort of a uh, you know, difficult question to sort of answer succinctly, but you're right. You know, I did mention in my book that you know, stepping outside of the sort of confines of the court and, and the various judgments, um, you know, I did put some faith in the in in, in or, and hope uh, in these sort of ordinary believing, you know, both Hindus and Muslims, you know, who um, in, uh, I'd like to believe are more interested in in, in, in living together in, in communal harmony, etc., uh, as opposed to what we see and what we've seen, you know, not just in India but elsewhere, uh, a politicization. Of religion, and, and this is something that's happened everywhere. Yeah. But uh, you know, of course, you know, one's hope does not always translate into facts. And what we've uh, seen, I, I, I guess, over the last, uh, you know, at least, um, you know, definitely over the last decade or so, is a definite uh, majoritarian ethic, which is you know, or ethos that has taken hold over the country. And if you, you know, look at the, you know. Explanations of the, the political victories of, of, of the BJP and the current dispensation, you know, part of it can be ascribed to this uh, the 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 you know definite majoritarian tilt in 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 the population. So in that sense, I think uh, you know both the you know the the, the courts sort of rulings, etc., as well as the sentiments on the ground, in fact, in a sense, you know, feed off from each other. So there is. A definite sense of resentment, as uh, as you know, well, I rightly pointed out, and and historically speaking, if one sort of steps back, I think there is that sense of Hindu victimhood that's been a, a recurrent narrative, you know, from the you know, 19th century, late 19th century onwards. You know, much of Hindu nationalism, as we see it today, actually drew, uh, and this is a somewhat you know complicated uh, you know, question, but you know, arguably drew from this. Uh, you know, sense of Hindu victimhood uh, from the late 19th century onwards. Um, so, so and I think that still continues to 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 be present and to fester, and, and much of that leads to you know sort of these sentiments on the ground for righting historical wrongs, etc. And you know, it's you know, one can of course well go back and uh, and you know, talked about the you know, a little bit about the history of the Rand and you know, one can go back to you know, scholars like you know Professor Richard Eaton, who argued that you know destruction of temples were really you know political in nature, and even for someone you know who's supposedly as bigoted as Aurangzeb, it was not really so much religious in its tenor. But the fact is, you know, it doesn't matter you know, what the motivations were then, but now on the ground, it's it's it's, it's seen in 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 one particular manner that you know these wrongs happened. The, the, the Hindus uh, and Hindu temple, etc., were desecrated, destroyed, and the, this now needs to be, you know, this wrong needs to be righted. Now that we have a government that's uh, or a dispensation that's sympathetic to these views, so 
uh, just to sort of end, you know, why I was saying that you know, these sentiments on the ground, as well as the court rulings, feed off from each other. You know, one of the points that I made in my book uh, uh, was again, you know, going back to a notion that was very much around uh, much earlier, and what you know, Benjamin Cardozo, a U.S. judge and jurist, once called the mores of the community, and what uh, an eminent Indian jurist, S.P. Sathe, had called the tides and currents of the time, and what both Cardozo and Sathe said that judges you know, at every level, you know, be it the lower courts, be it the higher courts, are not immune to the tides and currents and the mores of the time. Uh, and I had made this argument by uh, uh, looking at Justice you know, Verma's uh, judgments on, you know, on Hindutva, but also going back to someone like Justice Gajendra Gatkar, who was Chief Justice um, uh, of the Supreme High Court. Uh, or the Supreme Court, and I, I and argued that you know both these judges of sort of very different orientations were arguably influenced by the mores and you know the, the currents of the time, and that's again something that I think we do see and have seen uh, for the current you know uh, courts at, again at every level. Like you know judges are also you know human beings. You know they are influenced by the the the, the politics and the ideologies of the time, and even beyond that, and, and, and to put it somewhat crudely, some of them might even be very much uh, uh, not averse to you know, feeling the, the political pressures, especially at the lower judiciary, to, to sort of give judgments that, that are in tune with what uh, you know, the, 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 the political leader, the masters, you know, want, unfortunately. That's right. And I think uh, you made a lot of valid points there, uh, and particularly the points uh, about demolition of temples always being a political act. And I think it's what we're seeing now uh, is a tit for tat, as in there's nothing religious or spiritual about uh, demolition of mosques, particularly the way in which it is being done through courts, as in it's very much uh, a political act to correct some historical political wrongs. And a last word to you, Vale, because I wonder where this all leaves us uh, and whether it means that we junk the idea of secularism as we see it, uh, as, as an idea where the state doesn't get into religion uh, or celebrates all religions equally? Or do you think we need to restate it or perhaps redefine it in some shape or form to ensure that it continues? How do you see the future of Indian secularism? It's a very heavy question, Orko, but I would just, uh, if you allow me, I'll just add some historical context to what Ronjoy said about political nature, uh, nature of attacks on temples was political. So Aurangzeb and Richard Eaton said this, and others have said it, that, and I've done uh, primary research on this, and I also found that this seems to be true, that in 1669, uh, it had been a few years Aurangzeb became emperor, and uh, Shivaji escaped the Maratha king from uh, Agra fort, if I'm not wrong. And at that time, there was a rebellion going on in Banaras among the landlords, the landholders. And uh, the temple, Vishwanath temple, was you know, reconstructed or, uh, by uh, the grandfather of Jaising, who was an important uh, ally and he was in the court of Aurangzeb 
So the grandfather of Jai Singh, Man Singh, everybody I think knows Man Singh. Man Singh got this Vishwanath temple rebuilt. And so when, uh, you know, uh, Shivaji escaped and it is said that he was in Banaras, he was helped by some of those landlords and so on. So it was an act of retribution to demolish because the same year Aurangzeb had said, do not trouble Hindus doing their prayers, doing their worship. Do not uh, destroy temples that already exist. And in the same year, then later on, he's uh, ordering the demolition of that temple. So we won't go into that. The larger question on, uh, I think we all agree that history today is being used as both as a sword and a shield. Sword to first attack Muslims in general, whatever. And then shield to say that, oh, I'm doing this because your great, great, great grandfather did this to my great, great. So it's both. And how do we, the question today is, how do we curb these tendencies? And who can do that? Who can protect or reinforce secularism, which is actually a necessary evil, even if you don't like it. It is a necessary evil for the sustenance and prosperity of a diverse country like us. It's not somebody because, you know, Nehru liked it or Indra liked it or whoever. You need it. And therefore, it would, again, I mean, unless we... uh, change as a polity which may happen may not happen and are on the arms of of the different pillars of a democracy are we all believe are compromised the fourth estate everybody agrees is largely uh, acting like a propagandist so then it will come back to our beloved judiciary it will have to be them and somebody will have to you know, uh, show, you know, take a stand there and it, it cannot be anyone else. I mean, it can be a mass boom, a Gamasaya can descend uh, and reform a lot of people at the same time, preach harmony and uh, preach harmony and peace. But, you know, I mean, we can't leave it to that. We have an institution. There is a certain mandate. There is a constitution. I think apply, you know, apply, apply those principles and do your job. Otherwise, it will go down the way of, you know, say, or say other countries, I don't want to name them, but other countries who've, who've, who've gone this path already. Ramanja, you want to have a quick last word? No, n- nothing much to add. And I, I agree with Balay on, on, on his general views on the dispute and the, the history of this particular dispute. Um, but, you know, one final word, you know, the Supreme Court has often uh, been in the acted as a counter majoritarian force. And I think what we've seen over the last um, you know, few years, it seems to have abdicated that position. Of course, there are issues, again, with a non-elected body, uh, you know, uh, like the court, you know, um, acting the way it has. But I think by and large, I, I would say that, you know, the Supreme Court's counter-majoritarian instincts seems to have been dulled for various reasons. And that's, uh, again, a complicated issue. It's not just the Mores of the time, it might have something to do with the institution itself, you know, the chief justices we've had, etc. But I think that's something that we've seen, not just in on the issue of secularism and religion, but we can come up with a host of cases where the court seems to have sort of stepped back and, and not taken either not taken up issues uh, or delayed taking up uh, very critical issues. And that's something I just wanted to flag. No, thank you very much. And thank you very much uh, to both of you for those uh, really insightful comments. I think uh, we are going to leave it here with a statement that 
who is going to protect Indian secularism when we really don't know the answer? Will it be the courts? I've always been of the opinion that it can never be the courts uh, because for issues that are as existential as whether India will continue to be a secular country, I've always firmly believed that the answer lies not in our courts, but in ourselves and whom we elect. Maybe that takes a long time, uh, but perhaps this is something that does need a long time. So thank you very much, Valay. Thanks, Ronajoy, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Time for Clatter, our weekly quiz that's a bit tougher than clat. In the last episode, I'd asked you to connect a severed head, a novel by Iris Murdoch, and the winged horse Pegasus from Greek mythology. The right answer, which many of you got, is Medusa, from whose blood Pegasus miraculously sprang forth, and she was beheaded by Perseus. The winner of this last week's quiz is an old favorite, Mohan Gauda. Congratulations, Mohan. A free subscription of Disney Plus Hotstar is on its way to you. Hopefully, you'll gift this one to someone else. Time for this week's quiz. Consistent with our theme, what is the link between an 1834 lithograph sketch, an architectural plan of the Vishweshwar temple, and an 1841 Palladian porch on the banks of the Hooghly River. So connect the 1834 lithograph sketch and plan of the Vishweshwar temple with a 1841 Palladian porch on the banks of the Hooghly River. Write in with your answers to justify at vidhilegalpolicy.in. Write answers, stand a chance to win an exciting gift. In this episode, we've talked distressingly about internecine conflicts between Hindus and Muslims. At this point of time, all we can ask for is peace. And what better way to pray for peace than to listen to Lata Mangeshkar singing Allah Tero Naam, Ishwaro Tero Naam. I leave it with this Prayer for peace. Adjourn. listening to this podcast follow us on twitter at vidhi underscore india for regular updates we are on soundcloud and spotify as vidhi center for legal policies podcast you can also listen to us on google podcasts or itunes email us at justify at vidhi to share your comments and feedback on this episode <laughs>